Welcome to the fourth and final episode of the Senior Capstone Podcast. Today I'll be doing my personal reflection on my experience at the North Carolina Innocence Inquiry Commission. So the roles that I participated in all pretty much fell under the work of the Victim Services Coordinator, except for file review, which is where I went through the process that the law students typically go through when they review lengthy police files or court transcripts and basically summarize the important information for investigators to be able to review later so that instead of going through 140 pages of a police file, they can read a 10-page summary. And for that, I had to be trained on what information they're really looking for and how to use the categorization system that investigators use and know how to follow. And then the other roles that I had, because we really didn't do direct service, the roles I would say I have would be creating evidence-based resources for investigators to help them better serve victims during investigations and how to avoid re-traumatization, and collaborating with the Victim Services Coordinator to develop plans for how the commission could better serve victims, more specifically how to incorporate serving exonerees into the commission's work because exonerees really were victims of the crime too, not directly, but they were victims of circumstance or of the criminal justice system. So I definitely saw the need for sensitive direct service and I did learn how to more sensitively approach people for notifications. She let me do some drafts of that first letter that we sent out to letting people know that one of the worst things that happened to them is now being re-questioned and it may be years or decades later and the victims may have moved on thinking that the person who did it is behind bars and the best thing that they can do is move on and now that's being called into question. So yeah, I definitely saw the need for that, but no victim notification was actually necessary during my time there because the cases that they were investigating were closed by investigators and there wasn't the need to move to the next phase to notify victims. I also saw the need for a direct service during hearings because there's the logistics of coordinating transportation and meals and emotional support during hearings. And I think it would be really helpful to have somebody like the victim services coordinator who knows how these legal proceedings happen and what victims can kind of expect to see. There weren't any hearings while I was there, but I definitely saw how it would be helpful to have victim service coordinator there when they do happen. I find the file review interesting and I saw doing it as a way to learn more about the commission process and also to demonstrate flexibility because I know the victim service coordinator had said that during slower times for victim direct service, she also helped out with file review just because there's so much that has that comes into the commission. Doing that groundwork really helps move the process along. But she says that she also tries not to do it too much because she doesn't want to develop a bias about how the crime happened and because she thinks it's best to just hear about, you know, the perspective of the victim from the victim themselves and not necessarily the statements they initially gave to police or how the first investigations panned out. So the two main roles that I fell into, so either creating resources for investigators or helping write proposals for future additions to the commission to better serve victims. I prefer developing future plans because it was a more clear connection to victim service and I felt more confident in my ability to judge what is a good idea and what's helpful and what's not. Because, you know, reading the stories of exonerees and how somebody's released from prison after 10 years and they're given $40 and a pair of pants and they don't have any financial literacy because they were arrested when they were 21 and now they're 64. There's a pretty clear connection and draw between the problem and proposed solutions. But in connecting some of the literature reviews I did for creating resources for investigators, 
I felt that I can process the literature pretty efficiently, but I didn't have really my own professional subjective judgment about what kind of forensic interviewing is best for um, child sexual abuse allegations. Yeah, so I felt a little bit less confident in my ability to choose the right literature, I guess, versus just saying, hey, here are some clear problems. What are some realistic solutions that we can propose we implement here. I did see evidence of employees using the knowledge and skills we discussed in class. I think that, you know, when doing initial contact, the victim services coordinator does do not formal needs assessments and certainly doesn't do the eligibility assessments because, you know, she's the one contacting them. Nobody applies to be helped by the victim service coordinator. She reaches out to them and asks if they want help. So she can do needs assessments if they're willing to engage in that process with her, but that's really up to the victim, which is practicing self-determination. And I think that the victim services coordinator also definitely has to use their own professional subjective judgment, as well as collaborating with investigators to know what point of the investigation they're actually at, um, to know when to notify victims. When I was there, there was two or three cases that she was preparing to notify victims that they were maybe going to move to formal inquiry, which is like the later step in investigation. The victim services coordinator is supposed to coordinate with investigators to figure out when it's an appropriate time to contact the victims because if there ends up not being sufficient evidence of factual innocence to proceed, you don't want to have to call a victim and say, hey, you know this terrible thing that happened to you? Well, actually, it might not have been the person who did it. And then have to call again and say, oh, wait, never mind. Forget all that. That was the person who attacked you. So that would just really be not helpful and would. But on the other hand, you can't wait too long because there are some processes such as forensic DNA testing that could quickly exclude somebody. For example, there was a case of sexual assault where I think it happened in the 80s. They thought that everything from the case had been destroyed, but actually there was a DNA sample in police custody and they were able to test it and that DNA actually did match the claimant which means that the person did in fact commit the crime but if it had if that had not been the case and that DNA had decisively proven that it was not the claimant then that would be a fairly quick exoneration process and you wouldn't want to be contacting the victim right before the person they may have helped put into prison is going to be released soon. So she has to find a balance between notifying victims when appropriate, but not waiting too long or going too early. So that's definitely, I think, the use of professional subjective judgment. In terms of the agency meeting the marginalized community members that identified earlier, which was older African Americans, I do think that based on from what I've heard from other investigators and the metrics they've used to measure victim engagement, I do think that adding a dedicated victim service coordinator has really helped because the investigator's job is neutral, which is which fits with the purpose of the commission because they're a fact-finding commission, not a you know defense branch or a prosecution branch. But that means that they really can't efficiently support the victim either. So the victim service coordinator can be, you know, she's allowed to be not neutral and she can be on the side of the victims, um, just meaning that she's really there to support them and she doesn't have to worry about remaining neutral, which is, as we know from the history and present practices of law enforcement, it's really not neutral. So she's able to kind of directly help them. I think that meeting the needs of older African Americans who have lived their lives under structural racism and who may have had bad encounters with law enforcement when they were initially reporting as victims 
nobody can fix that in the hours they may spend together or even the days during hearings. My recommendations for better serving older African Americans isn't much different from what the victim service coordinator is already, already implementing. She's taken steps to allow the victim's family to include anyone that the victim would like to include, regardless of blood relation. She's making efforts to make the commission space more physically accessible, and she actively practices cultural humility. She understands the history of as well as present-day racism within law enforcement, and she approaches each client with a victim-centered approach. I felt that the people in the different roles of victim services and investigators, they work together pretty much as well as is possible, but there are just some fundamental differences in their roles and their purposes. Investigators, when they do have to interview victims, they have to ask them to recount what is often the worst night or nights of their lives. And victim advocates are supposed to be there to advocate for the victims and to help alleviate feelings of distress. And these roles are fundamentally at odds with each other. And only the victim services role really comes from a human services background. Talking with the investigators about how the commission functioned before and after the addition of a separate victim service coordinator really helped me see how important it was to have this role as a separate position um, because before investigators were doing it all, they had to do victim notification interviews and coordinating hearing attendance for victims, which is a lot on top of their regular roles, but also they didn't have the specialized training or human services background in how to best serve victims. And also, victim involvement has drastically increased since hiring a dedicated victim service coordinator. As I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest challenges I encountered was feeling like my work was never quote-unquote complete. My supervisor had some advice for this, saying that our work will expand to the space we create for it, meaning the project will never truly be finished if we don't make deadlines for ourselves. I found this helpful because it encourages me to do my best in my work, but also set reasonable expectations and allow myself to say that I've done a good job, even if there's still room for improvement, which there almost always is. I also experienced imposter syndrome at times, but I felt less of this because I knew that the expectations for an intern were less than that of somebody who was being hired full-time. I wish I'd been able to practice more of the skills we discussed in class, like creating documentation or conducting needs assessment, but direct services just weren't really in the cards. I did feel that I learned a good amount from creating the resources I created, and I do see their value and how they fit in with the purposes of the Victim Services Department overall, because better educated investigators will hopefully conduct less traumatizing interviews for victims. I did struggle a bit with my professional subjective judgment at first, and I probably asked my supervisor more questions than I needed to, but after a while, I started to get a lot more confident in both of my own abilities and knowing what her expectations were. It was a bit challenging for me to exactly assess what her expectations were early on because we communicated primarily over email, which is a very formal process and doesn't give the same cues that spoken conversation does. So it just felt really formal and I felt like it was intrusive to ask additional questions. But when we were able to meet over video call and text each other on her work phone later, I had an easier time getting more of a feel for what the work environment was like. Some of the practices we discussed in class that I observed being used at the commission was the use of evidence-based practices, allowing victims to self-determine the level of involvement they would like in the innocence inquiry process, maintaining victim confidentiality separately from the investigator's record, and ensuring dignity for victims throughout the inquiry process. I learned that nosy journalists have been a bit of a problem at past hearings, and the victim services coordinator has found ways to minimize their access to victims during these emotional proceedings. And pursuing social justice, by and pursuing social justice by attempting to help the victims find peace 
as well as helping them connect with resources dedicated to serving victims so that they may try to live their lives despite being failed so badly by the criminal justice system.